Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I am your host, Archie Mitchell, and this is episode 63. We are back once again, and unfortunately, because of my work constraints and everything else that I've got going on, I do not have a special guest this week. Mark Brew is not able to join me. I apologize about that, Mark, but I will have you back on again next week, and hopefully there'll be more to talk about. Um, it was still a decent week for wrestling. Uh, Raw and SmackDown were still uh, doing their absolute best, in my opinion. Uh, a lot of good storylines on Raw, the return of Dexter Loomis. Uh, just so many things going on on Monday night. SmackDown had its moments as well with the return of Karrion Cross and everything that's going on there. But the shows that we are reviewing this evening, NXT 2.0 and Dynamite, well, I'm going to be honest with you, they were lacking slightly. But we'll get into that in a few minutes. What I do want you to do, though, is go ahead and crack open your favorite frosty beverage. Buckle up, strap in, and get ready as I spew my venom, my hate, and my love for the world of professional wrestling. And we get into our quick hits. Quick hit number one, Tony Khan is said to be coming unprofessional backstage and on headset during TV tapings and the ROH pay-per-view. Some people are likening Tony Khan's behavior to even be worse than Vince McMahon's in that he's shouting uh, derogatory and upsetting things at the announcers or whoever he needs to speak to on headset during TV taping such as Dynamite and Rampage, as well as during the ROH pay-per-view where he apparently became livid and was just screaming incoherently at the top of his lungs. Now, Tony Khan... Is a very eccentric businessman. Of course, his father is the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it has been said that Tony Khan has been very weird while running AEW in that he's hugging the wrestlers way too much. He makes grandstand plays when he is doing uh, PR and, uh, you know, cuts promos during wrestlers' time to celebrate. It, it's really become obnoxious. But if he is doing so on headset to the announcers and everyone else that works for him, then this is a bit of a problem. The reason I say this is because, well, Tony, we live in a generation where if you begin to say stupidity and you begin to say things that you don't actually mean, or even if you do mean them, you can be canceled. And if Tony Khan were to be canceled, that could be very detrimental to AEW. It could hurt their product. It could hurt their company. It could even cause the company to go under. I would not be surprised if we see Tony Khan take a more backseat role very soon. Now, I'm not saying he's going to go away, no. But I am saying that we might start to see Tony Schiavone or a QT Marshall, Sanjay Dutt, Arn Anderson, or someone who's a little more seasoned with talking to the boys and the announcers and everybody else doing the job. Because if Tony can't handle it, and if Tony's face cannot be seen without him saying or doing something stupid... It needs to happen now because we do not want to see AEW start to become a sinking ship and kind of end up like TNA wrestling. Dixie Carter did a lot of stupid moves when she first started her business. She started paying the wrong people. She started trusting the wrong people. She started making very bad booking decisions. And in that case, we know how TNA went up until they were bought by Anthem and became Impact Wrestling. We don't need that to happen to AEW. Dynamite is a fantastic show, as is Rampage at times. We need them to both stay on par. 
and start getting better instead of staying stagnant. So in my opinion, Tony Khan needs to kind of be taken away from the front line a little bit, let somebody else who's got more experience get the job done, and then let Tony come in to sprinkle every now and then whatever it is he feels he needs to. Quick hit number two, John Laurinaitis was fired by the WWE. That's right, Mr. Future Endeavors was finally tolling. We wish you well on your future endeavors. John Laurinaitis is no longer with the WWE. This is, of course, stemming from the WWE's problem with Vince McMahon and the hush money and all the uh, digger deeping that's that's been going on. John Laurinaitis' name was named by quite a few women in that he was involved just as much as Vince was. John Laurinaitis, to me, was a very old-school thinking yes-man to Vince McMahon. Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe actually had their own ideas. They actually had booking ideas and ways to help the talent. John Laurinaitis, in my opinion, was not that guy. He didn't want to help anybody. He just wanted to talk from Vince to the wrestlers and deliver bad news or deliver when they were being fired. <laughs> he really never did anything where you've heard wrestlers countlessly say, and you know, John Laurinaitis helped me get a uh, get my career better, helped me uh, you know hone my craft, told me how to get things done. No, John Laurinaitis was a bumbling idiot in my opinion, and the fact that Triple H coming in and firing John Laurinaitis, thank you once again, Triple H. Hunter is cleaning shop. He's taking over. He's bringing back talent that he deemed unfairly fired by Vince and uh, Nick Khan, and he's getting rid of the old regime. Uh, of course, John Laurinaitis was on leave because of what was going on with the Vince McMahon uh, problems and everything else like that. But Triple H said, you know what? I don't just want to leave him on leave. I want him gone. So congratulations and uh we wish you well on your future endeavors, Mr. Laurinaitis, a.k.a. Mr. Bella, because he is, of course, married to the Bella Twins' mom. Kind of hoping that what is unceremoniously firing, maybe that means we've done with the Bella Twins in WWE, but that's a story for another day. I won't get into that. Let's talk about something else. Quick hit number three, and this one's a big one. Another $5 million was found in Vince McMahon's hush money bringing the total to $19,600,000 paid off to various women and people who Vince needed to go away. Uh, This money should have been reported as uh, expenses and so that WWE could have recorded it during their quarterly uh, announcements. But of course, Vince keeping this a secret, it only adds to the drama and the problems that he will see from here on end. Um, it's really, really crazy when you think about it. I've seen people talk about it, memes even saying this man paid more for a piece of ass than he did for WCW. And now you can tack on ECW for that as well. He got both those companies for less than he paid women to go away. I don't understand it. I know I was an advocate and someone who was saying, you know, this was his man, this was his character, this is who he is in real life. We shouldn't be, you know, persecuting him. But it just keeps getting worse. It's like a nightmare. It's it's like it just keeps unraveling and getting worse. Uh, the fact that he would let go of so many wrestlers over the last couple of years, I believe it was 91 or 95 wrestlers, because they were having budget cuts, but then he had $19.6 million to throw around. 
and give to these women is utterly ridiculous. I am happy that Vince is out the door now and that Hunter is in charge, as is Stephanie. And I do hope that they can bring the WWE back to prominence of some sort and allow us to enjoy wrestling again. We're not always going to enjoy wrestling. We understand that as fans, we're always going to bitch and moan about something. I'm about to do it when I do these show reviews. But if we can enjoy it as a whole and find something good about it, then it will make us feel much better and we'll enjoy it much, much more. Final quick hit, and this is just a tidbit. Number four is a tidbit. There are rumors that The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, has signed back with the WWE, and it's because of Vince McMahon's departure. Apparently, Vince was the one who deemed Bray Wyatt to have a bad attitude and be difficult to deal with because Bray was not afraid to speak up and say when certain creative moves were shit. Also, Bray Wyatt was set to defeat Randy Orton at WrestleMania and retain the World Heavyweight title during their feud. But the day of Vince McMahon changed it, and it was because he deemed Bray Wyatt to be difficult that he took the title off of him. He constantly said derogatory things to Bray Wyatt about his physique and about his attitude, and this is why Bray was having such a hard time coming back to the WWE because of the way the creative was treating him and the way that Vince was treating him. So Bray Wyatt may be on his way back to the WWE. We don't know when it might be. It could be at the next pay-per-view. It could be in the next couple of weeks on Raw or SmackDown. If this is true, I will mark out. I was a huge Bray Wyatt and Fiend fan, and I think that he deserves another opportunity. So that's going to do it for the uh, quick hits portion of the show. A uh, couple of interesting news bits there. Uh, let's get on to our show review, and that will be our first show of NXT 2.0. We get a nice recap of last week and some comments from Cora Jade, Trick Williams, and Tony D about their matches and Tony D's meeting with Santos Escobar later on this evening. Uh, digital exclusive is then shown of Nikita Lyons and um, Zoe Stark talking about uh, being put in the WWE Women's Tag Team title tournament over there on Monday Night Raw. Uh, I don't understand why they were chosen over Toxic Attraction or even another suitable tag team. I mean, I would have taken Ivy Niles and Tatum Paxley over these two. Not that I have a problem with Zoe Stark. I think she's fine. I think she's she's really gotten over. But Nikita Lyons is just a big old ball of blah, in my opinion. And we go right into our opening match. It's Kiana James taking on Nikita Lyons. This was done because Keanu James made fun of Nikita's appearance in her ramblings and, you know, breaking down all the facts and things. I talked about this with Mark last week. NXT right now has a mathematician luchador, uh, a Keanu James who does uh, a facts checking and digging deeper into people's lives. J.D. McDone is a chiropractor slash maniac who knows how to break people's bones the right way. Why are we giving people normal jobs again in the WWE. Why are we why are we giving them a backstory of an actual job? You know what I mean? It makes no sense. But not to get into the weeds too much. Opening match, this was our opener and thank God it was only three minutes long. It was sloppy and rushed. But women look very bad in this outing and in my should opinion should not be on TV. Nikita gets the win with that split finisher of hers. Post match Keanu James James delivers the worst foreign object shot I've ever seen. I don't know what she was going to hit Nikita with, but it didn't look like it was going to do that much damage, no matter how hard she would have hit her. It, it like 
basically looked like the slightest touch ever, and then they just went about their business. Backstage, the Creed Bros and uh, Apollo Crews are watching highlights of last week's tag match. Roderick Strong, Roderick Strong walks in, and the Creeds let him know they aren't pleased. Roddy tries to fix it, but Apollo gets into it with uh, the leader of the Diamond Mine, and pleasantries are exchanged, and a match is made for later on tonight. Roderick even goes so far as to say that the Creed Bros will be in his corner because Diamond Mind is forever. Lash Legend tells uh, Malik about her match uh, this past week uh, with Alba Fire. And I can already tell this isn't going to be a good episode based on the first 20 minutes, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we then go to uh, Wesley taking on Trick Williams in a rounds match. This is being treated as a boxing slash wrestling match. And the crowd is dead for it. They're both throwing punches, knees, and trying to take each other down, but neither know how to box, so it's making the punches look ridiculous. Round two turns into a regular wrestling match, and this has gotten better because both guys can actually wrestle. Lee used quickness and high-flying ability. Crowd woke up. Carmelo got involved, and this allowed Trick to get a pinfall, but apparently the match will continue into round three. What? Apparently, this match was going to go six rounds regardless of what happened. So it's actually like an Iron Man match, but only for 18 minutes because it's six three-minute rounds. Um, Lee got a pinfall, and we're tied at two. And I'm truly lost in round six after some decent back-and-forth wrestling action. Lee used a boxing glove to knock Trick out and get another pinfall to pick up the win. What the actual fuck here? I, I don't get it. Andre Chase is shown with one of the new girls named Ariana. She's upset that Thea Hale gave her a black eye last week. Andre made a match between them later on tonight because he has that power, apparently. Um, Didn't know that. Carmelo Hayes is now in the ring and talking about Trick getting beat and being cheated. Uh, Nathan Frazier answering his challenge from last week. Frazier's music hits, but it's actually Giovanni Vinci, and he's here to challenge Carmelo for the title. Melo says Vinci is not him because I am. This is the stupidest catchphrase. It leads to a fight and a pull-apart. What's up with tonight's show? J.D. McDow gets a weird-looking vignette, kind of like a Matthew McConaughey. I've been driving a Lincoln since they paid me to drive one, since before they paid me to drive one. This is a total shift from the badass promo last week. We see highlights of Braun Breaker's title reign, and it's making the champ look strong. Uh, can't wait for their match, though, at Heat Wave. That should be fantastic. Last Legend is now with Idris and Malik, and I think I checked out here. Um, I, I can't get it. Thea Heldon takes on Ariana. Another short and botchy women's match tonight. Ariana gets the win in two minutes, and it just keeps getting worse. Apollo Crews is shown having a vision, and then he just snapped out of it. His match with Roderick Strong is next. After some highlights from last week, uh, Solo Sequoia and Von Wagner's match, we see Solo with the trainer. He's told that he's got a sprained ACL. Cameron Grimes approaches. Grimes congratulated on him as his win last week. Solo says when he gets back, he wants the North American champion. Grimes looks like he's dejected and all messed up in the head. Roger Strong then took on Apollo Cruz. An incredible match here. Those guys pushing each other throughout. Cruz with some innovative offense and strong with that hard style we've grown accustomed to. Roddy pushed back whenever it looked like Apollo had it won and showed great reverse, uh, reversals and strength in this matchup. But Cruz wanted more. Apollo hit his finisher and got the win after an amazing 18-minute matchup. Now that's NXT. Give me that. I'm not saying every match has to be between 15 to 20 minutes long, but 
sprinkle that in. Give me at least three of those. I, I can't handle this BS two four minute match and you know. Lash is still going until Idris finally tells her she's lost. She did not beat Alba Fire. Pretty deadly interrupts and challenges Idris and Malik to a match tonight in Lash's honor. All right, let's go. We also see Santos Escobar about to arrive to his meeting with Tony D. He tells someone on the phone that he has everything covered and not to worry. I'm assuming that was uh, Electra Lopez. Um, if not, it was at least one of the, you know, Joaquin Wilde or Mendoza. Whatever case it is, I'm interested to see where they're going to go with this. Faraz and Leona with Sangha and talking about not winning the women's tag team titles last week. Carter and Chance approach and let them know that they'll be fighting champions. Sangha invites Faraz and Leona to find balance with him next week. Diamond Mine is shown still watching tape. Roger Strong walks in upset uh, that they weren't with him. They argue, and apparently it's going to be settled next week at Heat Wave. Now, if this is going to lead to a match between one of the Creeds and Roger Strong, I'm all for it. But if this is going to lead to Roderick turning on the Creed somehow and going on his own separate way, I'm, I'm not for it because we've seen this before. It was called Undisputed Era, and it was actually done very well. <clears throat> uh, it's now time for the final meeting with Tony D and Santos Escobar, and it's happening in a public park. They go back and forth about problems and finally agree on a match. It'll be a street fight, and if Tony D wins... Santos leaves NXT for good, and Tony D gets Legato Fantasma family in his family for good as well. If Santos wins, Legato is free from Tony's family. I smell a main roster call-up for Santos Escobar here, because it wouldn't be uh, unlike uh, NXT to let him lose. He goes to the main roster. We've got a new star. Tiffany is shown walking into a room, and Wendy Chu from behind closes the door and puts on night vision goggles and beats the hell out of her. This was actually funny. I enjoyed this segment. I like where they're going with this. Pretty Deadly then takes on Idris and Malik, and there was barely anything here. It was three minutes, and three and a half minutes. Briggs and Jensen causing a distraction. Pretty Deadly surprising their opponents and getting the win. This could have been at least 10 minutes, considering all the TV time they gave them earlier in the back, but I guess they had to continue to feud with Briggs and Jensen and Pretty Deadly for the NXT UK titles. I'm not understanding that. I don't know why Briggs and Jensen have those belts or why they're even on the NXT US show, but I guess we'll find out somewhere down the line. Post-match, Lash Legends attacks Fallon and has aligned herself with Pretty Deadly, I guess. Nikita Lyon is shown giving Zoe Starks a pep talk before her main event match. I think she told her, don't botch like I did. Um, we get a vignette of Toxic Attraction and how upset they are about losing the tag titles. JC is at a record store and Gigi is at a bar. I knew I liked them for some reason. Apollo Cruz is boasting to McKenzie and in walks Grayson Waller. He annoyingly tells Apollo to leave and Apollo assured him that he's not going anywhere. The thing I hated most about this was Waller said, I ran some other main roster star out of NXT. Was he trying to say that he got rid of AJ Styles? Because <laughs> last I checked. AJ Styles kicked his ass phenomenally and then went back to the main roster. And then we go to our main event. And it's Cora Jade versus Zoe Starks. Hard-hitting and great back-and-forth match up here in our main event. Cora has grown into a great competitor, and Stark hasn't missed a step since coming back. It looked like Jade might get the win, but Starks kept fighting back. Roxanne caused a distraction for Cora. Zoe hit a super kick and then an inverted go to sleep, and she gets the win in 12 minutes. Very good. Main event here tonight. 
Post-match, Roxanne tries to take Cora's head off with a kendo stick, but missed. Mandy Rose tried to get at Zoe, but she ducked, hit another super kick, and the inverted GTS once again, and ended the show holding the women's title. Now, is this a precursor to what will happen next week when they meet for the NXT women's title? I hope not, because I like Mandy Rose as the champion, but they might be looking to book Zoe Stark strong since her return. This had a terrible first 75 minutes of NXT with nothing of real substance in it. Cruz and Strong and the main event saved this show, but not by much. I'm giving NXT a 3 out of 5, but it was at least a 2 until the sudden turnaround. So that's that's a big thing, guys, for me to give NXT a 2 uh, after how great it's been. But I guess they, have, in their mind, do something subtle and slow this week because they got Heat Wave next week. I'm not sure. Now it is time for AEW Dynamite Quake at the Lake. Uh, show starts off with JR welcoming us and heading straight to the ring. And it's the coffin match between Darby Allen and Brody King. It's our opening match. Uh, and it was an absolute war. Darby started out going right after King and using a chair to get up the upper hand. Brody King fought back and proved he's an absolute beast in the ring. He, um, he then grabbed tables and chairs galore. And then a shit ton of interference decided to take place. I'm not even joking when I say that. Julia Hart caused a distraction. Malachi Black helped Brody put Allen through a table. And Buddy Matthews went for the coffin. Sting jumped out of the coffin with the House of Black face paint on and helped Darby. Allen choked Brody with a chain and laid him to rest into the coffin to get the win in the 14-minute mark of the match. This was good, but could have been so much better had they just let these two destroy each other and go one-on-one. -on -one. I understand the House of Black and Sting kind of got to be involved, but then it didn't need to happen so quickly into the match. John Muxley cuts a promo about his match with Jericho later on tonight. He promises more blood and gore than ever before. Jericho speaks next, and he guarantees he will get his title back after two and a half years. He says that Mox is getting Lionheart, the last surviving member of the Hart family dungeon, and he's going to stretch the shit out of him tonight. Next week, uh, next week's episode will be entitled House of Dragons. We're getting some good matches like Danielson versus Garcia and a two out of three falls match, but what's with all the stupid names lately? Andrade and Rush, or Roosh as they call him, took on Pentagon and Phoenix next. This was almost like a tornado tag match because there wasn't much tagging in and out of them, and all four went all over the ring in this battle. Phoenix went to the air and stunned the crowd and, in, and his opponents. Russian Andrade made for a powerhouse team, but Pentagon wasn't giving up easy and fought back. The Los Ingranobles team of Andrade and Rush hit a double-team move on Phoenix and got the win in just 13 minutes. Very good tag team match. We then saw the Young Bucks approach Hangman Page and the Dark Order. They apologized and congratulated Page for his past accomplishments and want to go back to being friends. They asked Page to be their trio's partner, but Page declined and said he'd be back uh, in the corner of the Dark Order, and that he is not going to be in the trio's tournament. The Bucks shake his hand and walk away a little angry. It'll be interesting what happens next and who their partner is going to be. Luchasaurus then took on Anthony Henry. Jungle Boy made his way to the ring and is then followed by Luchasaurus. Anthony Henry got destroyed by Luchasaurus in 90 seconds, and I'm glad they're still pushing him like a monster. Post-match Christian is shown on the big screen. He calls out Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy ran backstage and tried to get a Christian but the referees and security stop him. Luchasaurus came in and takes out everyone, including Pat Buck. That's right, there was a devastating headbutt to the big head of Pat Buck 
who is a friend of mine. I've met him millions of times at his We Are Wrestle Pro shows. Talk to him constantly, so I can say it. Pat, you got a big head. Uh, we shift to Miro talking about House Black. Julia Hart tried to intervene, but Miro warns her that only one woman can touch him. He tells her to let Malachi know he will accept the gifts that were given to him. What's that mean? Is he going to join the House of Black, or are we about to see Lana? I, I don't get it. Mark Henry tries to interview Powerhouse Hobbs, but the factory and QT Marshall interrupt and do a bad Sopranos impression. Hobb warns Marshall and walks off. Jay Lethal and Sunday Je- Sanjay Dutt come to the ring with Satam Singh, uh, and uh, I guess they needed some more TV time, but this is way too much talking in between matches, in my opinion. They send a warning to Wardlow, and Lethal wants another title shot. What would that be, like his fifth title shot this month at a different title? Wardlow answers, and he gets joined by the returning FTR. Segment breaks down into a brawl, and Wardlow takes out Lethal. Can we get another match on the show, please? Nope, because the Jericho Appreciation Society, dumbest name ever, decides to hype the main event. Anna Jay sat there looking great, but there was, it was this was a terrible move for her to turn her heel and have them bring her into the JSA. She ends the segment by choking someone backstage. I mean, that what's going on here? Aaron Solo takes on Ricky Stark. We get Starks. We get a brief history uh, vignette of Starks and Aaron's uh, past history. I know I said that twice, but we get a vignette telling us about the past history of these two being former tag team partners. These two guys fought quick and with a purpose. Solo tried to take Ricky out quick, but Starks hit a spear and then a finisher, and he got the win in four minutes. But these guys should have gotten at least ten. With all the hype and everything that went on there, I, I think a nice ten-minute match would have been perfectly on par for what Dynamite is used to. Post-match, the factory tried to get involved, but Ricky took out Nick Camarado and ran off. Hobbs is shown backstage busting a flat screen because that's what you want one of your monsters doing is beating up your technology while his rival is just running up the stairs. You know, don't have him attack or anything. Lexi tries to interview the gun club, and Papa Ass is pretty upset. Stokely Hathaway looks to recruit the Ass Boys, but Billy ain't having it. Dan Housen shows up and informs them that they will fight him and Eric Redbeard uh, on Rampage this Friday night. So it's good to see that Eric Redbeard is getting a shot back here in AEW. Tony then interviews the best friends, but they get interrupted by Arya Davari and his crew known as the Trustbusters. Parker Bordeaux looks like a monster. I can't wait to see him on Friday night in a six-man tag as the best friends take on um, the Trustbusters. And then we go to the ring for our TBS women's title match. Madison Rain taking on Jade Cargill. Match started out good, but then went downhill quick. They had a few botches and some missed timing. They just didn't have a good amount of chemistry with each other. And I'm saying this about both Rain and Jade. It was not the match that needed to be happening on uh, Dynamite. Jade got the win with the Jaded in eight minutes, and I'm happy it was over so that we didn't have to deal with any more of the botching. Post-match, Athena tried to attack Jade, and the champion runs off. They need to get to this match eventually, like by All Out or whatever the next pay-per-view is, because eventually Athena's hype is going to wear off, and nobody's going to give a crap. You know, it's just going to be one of those matches. Tony interviews Thunderstorm, which is Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm. Chris Statlander is apparently injured, and that moves Tony Storm back into the number one ranking spot. They both say they don't want to face each other, but they have to because it's what wrestling's all about. And hopefully 
in my opinion, it's a better match than their first one. You know, we heard stories about Thunder Rosa sandbagging Tony and not really, you know, having the best match with her. I kind of hope that we don't have that here. We get a rundown for Rampage in next week's House of Dragons episode of Dynamite. This time that could have been spent on a match, but Hour 2 has been promo heavy. And now it is time for our main event. Uh, Chris Jericho versus John Moxley. Great main event here with both Jericho and Moxley pulling out all the stops. We saw Jericho go into his bag of tricks and make Moxley bleed early on. They fought inside and outside of the ring, and Mox had to battle for everything that he got in this match. Jericho almost had it won, but Moxley turned it around and put on his bulldog headlock. Chris gutted it out, but finally tapped out, allowing Moxley to get the win at the 23-minute mark. Very enjoyable, a little blood-heavy, I will say, after the Coffin match earlier. This match didn't need that much blood, if any at all, but it is what it is. Post-match, JSA hit the ring and begin to beat down Mox. The Combat Club hit the ring as well, and once again, it's a war of the stables. And as everyone is fighting, the familiar music of CM Punk hits the PA system, and the AEW champion made his return. Punk cleared the ring, and it left him one-on-one, face-to-face with Moxley. Now, here's what I would have liked to have seen happen. The two look at each other. They smirk, shake hands, and we set up our next matchup for the AEW World Heavyweight title, which is the unification between Moxley and Punk. Here's what happened. Mox flipped Punk off and walked out of the ring. End of show. What the hell? You guys had no beef prior to this. You became the interim champion because he got injured. And you won a BS matchup with Kyle O'Reilly after a battle royal that he broke his ass to win. And then you beat Tanahashi, who everybody wanted to see Punk fight. And now you're the mad one? No. John Moxley has definitely been played out. I think it's time to end the experiment. Get Punk a match with him so they could unify the titles and get that belt off of him. Just like NXT, these were two different hours to two different shows, but the main event and Punk returning saved AEW. I'm giving Dynamite a 4 out of 5. It was promo heavy, but the matches that did happen were good, too great, and Punk's return leaves a lot of questions. I'm a Punk mark, so of course it jumped it up. If it was going to be a 3 or a 3.5, I squeezed in an extra half a point to get it up to a 4 because I enjoyed seeing CM Punk back. And finally... NWA Power. And last week, as you both heard, as you all heard, both, I guess there's only two listeners right now. <laughs> as you all heard last week, both myself and Mark Brew shit on NWA Power. We hated the show. We thought it was garbage. But anyway, NWA starts off this week by going to the ring, and it's Mike Knox taking on Graves in a tables match. Mike Knox basically ran over his opponent and basically beat him from pillar to post. This was being done to send a message to Bully Ray in lieu of their NWA 74 tables match on pay-per-view. Knox put Graves through the table and got the win at the four-minute mark. Decent opener. Great way to sell the story. I like that they did this for Knox and they gave him a little bit more of push uh, in leading into a match with Bully Ray because I have a strange feeling Bully Ray might beat Knox just to get that whole nostalgia feel. Kyle Davis is now interviewing Jordan Clearwater, who is obsessed with his own abs. Black G says that Sion is uh, out training. 
for his national title match in NWA 74 and makes fun of the fans. Nice old school promo here. Mae Valentine interviews the Pope and she asks him about his match with Trevor Murdoch. Pope says if you look at his career and see the people he's beaten, then you'll know how the match tonight is going to go. Trevor may be his friend, but that won't matter tonight. Ricky Morton then took on a wrecking ball. The legend Morton tried to use his speed and agility to take the wrecking ball down, but the big man kept putting Ricky down instead. Wrecking ball had the match won, but made a big mistake and went to the well one too many times. Morton moved out of the way of an avalanche, rolled wrecking ball up, and got the win in three minutes. A little quick, but decent. I don't mind a Ricky Morton match every now and then, ladies and gentlemen. He's still a great hand. He's not in his age, but for the age that he is, he can still put on a hell of a show. May Valentine and Aaron Stevens are now being interviewed by some guy. They never tell us his name. He asks May if Aaron thinks he's better than him, and she says that Aaron is. Is Aaron Stevens coming out of retirement after only a month or so? What was the point of this segment again? This this was like last week's May Valentine segment. It made no sense other than to get over the fact that May Valentine and Aaron Stevens are dating. We get highlights from NWA USA and Homicide defending his title against PJ Hawks. We see a cutter from the second rope and Homicide retains the title. I may have to check out this match in its entirety, ladies and gentlemen, because it looked damn good for just that couple minutes they showed. Joe Alonzo then took on Jordan Clearwater. This was an excellent battle of two young and up-and-comers. Alonzo showed off a lot in this one and got in a tremendous amount of offense. Clearwater made a comeback and allowed his cockiness to get in the way. Alonzo got back in control and was looking for a crossroads, but Clearwater held on, hit his big boot, and got the win in six minutes. We need more of this on the NWA. That was the best part of NWA in the back of the day, ladies and gentlemen. New faces popping up giving the uh, the talent that, you know, they deem to be their veterans or their, you know, big stars, run for their money a little bit. Six, seven, eight-minute match. That's all you need. Sprinkle it in every couple weeks. Let us see somebody new because it's for the best. May is now with Angelina Love and welcomes her to the NWA. Angelina runs down her own past accomplishments and mentions that her best friend, Velvet Sky, has an NWA women's title match. But... Velvet is retired, so maybe they can work out something out. Now, I know that Velvet and Angelina are best friends. I've met both of, the, both of them, and they are inseparable. And I also know that Velvet is retired because she is now an announcer in the NWA. But wouldn't this be a great storyline if this coaxed Velvet out of retirement because Angelina stole her title shot, lost the title shot, blames Angela, uh, blames Velvet, and then her and Angelina get into a feud again like they did all those years ago in TNA, which was a fantastic feud in my opinion. Kyle Davis once again interviews the Pope, and again Trevor Murdoch, and the Pope's friendship is being questioned. Pope says that Trevor acts for this match, and he's going to give it to him. When it's all said and done, he will extend his hand, and we will see what happens. And it is now main event time, ladies and gentlemen. Murdoch taking on the Pope, a good old-fashioned style match with tons of reversals and a good amount of feeling out between both men. Pope took an early lead, but Murdoch overpowered him. Back and forth they went, but neither man had the upper hand for long. The match felt the match fell to the outside, excuse me. And Pope tried to send Murdoch into the post, but Trevor reversed him and sent Pope headfirst into the steel. Murdoch was about to go for a pile driver, but he let the Pope go 
at the last minute and stood over his opponent. The referee reached the 20 count, and both men have been counted out to end the show. What a cliffhanger, though. Now, normally I would be pissed about a non-finish, but these guys got 10 minutes to actually have a great matchup. And it ended in a no count-up because we're not sure if Trevor Murdoch showed uh, remorse and didn't want to hurt his partner, or maybe he came out of that psychotic uh, you know, little moment that he was in, or if Murdoch was waiting and going to hurt the Pope somewhere else down the line. It, like I said, it left us on a pretty damn good cliffhanger for next week and leading into NWA 74, where Trevor Murdoch will defend the title against a monster like Tyrus. This week's episode was so much better than last week, and I have to commend the NWA. I'm giving them a four out of five this week, and I hope that we continue to get episodes like this from here on out, leading into NWA 74 and after, because this is what the NWA is about, actual wrestling. Yes, we like our interviews, we like having our moments, we like to see what the wrestlers are doing backstage, but we also like to hear a match that was like, oh my god, I've got to watch that again because it was better than I ever expected. So, with that being said, we have one more segment tonight, and you know what that is, it's Grind My Gears. And I may ask that you pop open another frosty beverage for this one because we're going to revisit... A couple of weeks ago grinds my gears about Ric Flair. I said how much I hated the Ric Flair's last match. Match. Ricky Morton put on a hell of a show at that show with his son in a tag team match and lost. Ric Flair, who openly, during his podcast, said that he passed out twice had one of the worst matches I've ever seen. I don't care if you're Ric Flair. I don't care if you're Terry Funk. I don't care if you're Hulk Hogan legend or not. There was no reason for that match to happen, especially when we saw Flair go unconscious, whether he was dehydrated, as he said, knocked out, or something bad was happening. No one wanted to see that. And I've seen people praise him and say, you're the GOAT. You deserve this. Keep it up. And, you know, we wish you the best. And then I've seen other people say how embarrassed they were to watch that matchup. But here's where the plot thickens. Ric Flair yesterday said to a uh, webpage during an interview that he wishes he did not say that that was his last match because he'd like to have others. He had a, he had a fight with Carlos Colon uh, during a, uh, a match in Puerto Rico between Andrade and Carlito, the son of Carlos Colon. They fought outside. Rick once again bled. It was great times to be had by everybody. And Rick is regretting that he ever said that this would be his last match that he had with Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal and Andrade as his tag team partner. Rick Flair must have a death wish or the most biggest ego possible. It is absolutely ridiculous. It is absolutely unthought of to see a man who is in his 70s still want to wrestle and do it badly and go incoherent during the match. Rick, I implore you, stop this now. Be a manager. Continue with your podcast. 
Do your blue blue chew commercials. Do your safe leg commercials. Do whatever the fuck you've got to do to keep your ass out of the ring, Ric Flair. Nobody wants to see a 70-something-year-old grandfather killing themselves on a weekly basis. Nobody wants to see you bleeding every fucking time. John Moxley is doing enough bleeding for everybody, and that's gotten old to the point where the fans don't want to look at his face anymore. They definitely don't want to see yours doing the same thing in your 70s. It has gotten ridiculous. It has gotten played out. It has gotten to the point where people, even though they love you, are embarrassed for you. You are tarnishing your legacy. All the good you did with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania went out the fucking door. All the good you did with Jay Lethal and Impact went out the fucking door. Everything you did for this business, we love you for, Rick, but I'm begging you, stop the bullshit. So with that being said, I've got a question for you guys, and I would appreciate any and all answers and responses. You can go ahead and respond on the We Can't Wrestle podcast board. I will put up a question in the next couple of days once this episode airs, and you guys can vote on a poll. Do you want this show to be longer? Do you want to hear more of what the Arch is cooking? And what I mean by that is, is I can add Raw and SmackDown to this show instead of doing a spinoff to just do Raw and SmackDown. Instead of adding a second show and having a hard time doing so because of my work schedule and normal life and everything else going on, I can add Raw and SmackDown to this show. That would bring us at five shows total, and we can go ahead and just continue to roll. You let me know when I put up the poll on the We Can't Wrestle podcast what you want to see. If you want me to keep it at NXT, AEW, and NWA, sprinkle in a couple other shows here and there just to be talking about tidbits from them, that's fine. But if you want a full-blown adding of Raw and SmackDown, let me know, ladies and gentlemen. The choice is yours. I love doing this. If we got to go a little longer sometimes, I don't mind. Mark and I almost went two full hours last week, and I had a blast talking to him. The week before that, Nate and I went for an hour and a half. Again, had a blast talking to him. So if it's got to be a longer show, no big deal. But I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank you for the support. I ask that you continue to support WrestleNet Radio and the We Can't Wrestle Podcast Network. Continue to listen to the We Can't Wrestle Podcast. The slice of time, the year that was, Mark's Indie Spotlight, Golden Voices, and this show right here, if you smell what the arch is cooking, as well as Reliving the Extreme with my friends Aaron Maxson, Nate Maxson, and my rival, Chad Austin. So, until next week, I will see you once again on If You Smell what the arch is cooking. <laughs>